Everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. We use Rotten Tomatoes. We take a look at someone's highest and lowest rated film, and then we talk about them. Right now, we're up to Wes Craven. We talked about Vampire in Brooklyn, which was at ten percent. So now we're up to his best, which is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Clay, how are you? Amanda, how are you? I'm good. I uh, I'm sorry. I thought this was a radio star murders. I thought we were doing Nightmare on My Street by Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> what? So I'm a little under. Yeah, they, he did. He recorded a song called Nightmare on My Street, which was supposed to be for um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four, but they didn't end up using it. And also, it was. Uh, I don't think he was allowed to actually put it out. So if you look on YouTube, what? there's a video for it, but it's a video that's been like banned. For copyright reasons, for like twenty five years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that was my educational moment for the day. Mm-hmm. You Learn hun- something new every time. <laughs> hundreds of pages of notes on that, and only ten sentences on Nightmare on Elm Street. I think so. We're going essentially to yes. A actually. Short podcast. Amanda, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. We are here to talk about a Nightmare on Elm Street, which, as I mentioned, is at ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes Tomatometer. I don't know if I mentioned that, but. The critical consensus is Wes, Wes Craven's intelligent premise. How did I mess up my own name? Wes Craven's intelligent <laughs> premise, combined with the horrifying visual appearance of Freddy Krueger, still causes nightmares to this day. In this movie, a group of teenagers are terrorized by Freddy Krueger, an evil being from another world who gets his victims by entering their dreams and killing them with his gloves that have knife blades attached to each of his fingers. That's an interesting description of the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's a really weird way to put that. <laughs> It's very specific. In this in this installment of Friday the 13th, Jason kills kids with a knife handle that has a blade attached to it. <laughs> he typically aims for the head. It's an easier kill. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street is an 84 American slasher film written and directed by Craven, produced by Robert Shea. Uh, it's the first of installment in a series that stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Renee Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Ju Garcia, Robert England, England, England as Fred Krueger. Fred Krueger always strikes me as funny, too, and Johnny Depp in his film debut. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about this. This 1984. It's the best of. And I will throw it to you, Clay. I'll just say this, and yes. then we'll take a break, actually. We'll, we'll play the trailer. Uh, do you st- think about this during the break, but is the movie still as scary as you thought it was when we did the last movie, Vampire in Brooklyn? All right, here's the trailer. We'll be back. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! Ah! 
she's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. <laughs> no one will survive. <laughs> Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. All right, Clay. So if you want to open with that, do you still think it's scary? Uh, I do. I think it's kind of difficult to view it without 30-something years of Freddy Krueger behind it. Um, because uh, he eventually kind of turns into a bit more of a joke and uh, more of a pun machine and becomes so you, uh, ubiquitous that he's just sort of a cartoon character. Um, but if you kind of take that away and you just judge this one by itself, I think it's, I think it's remarkably effective. I think it's a really good movie. I think the first, the first, uh, death I think is an all timer. Uh, Tina getting ripped up uh, up and down the walls and stuff, and mm-hmm. the 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 only it's it's a strange thing, uh, which I'm sure we can get into. But Freddie himself is the least effective when you actually see him, because uh, he's kind of goofy. His and running, his like, running sucks. Like the way that he runs is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well that that one that uh, that's specific. That's not Robert Englund, but that's <laughs> details. But uh. Uh, but yeah, anytime that they show him like actively going after somebody, he's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, normal. He's not very, what's that? He's normal. He looks like yeah, a normal guy. Yeah, he does. And there's a certain weirdness to him in this where it's almost like he just got his powers like yeah. 10 minutes before the movie starts. Yes. And he's kind of kind of psyched about it. Yeah. So he starts yeah. fucking with the kids by doing stuff where it's essentially him going like, hey, yes. check this out. This is yes. pretty cool, right? Then yes. he like cuts his own fingers off and like cuts oh, himself. Oh my God. So it's, it's uh, I think viewed by itself, I think it is very effective. And I think it works. I think it works better than a lot of slasher movies um, because the kids feel like real characters and they actually, uh, the world that they set up is completely thought through as far as how the parents are involved and how the cops are involved and that's X, Y, and Z and, and uh, more so than I think most other, other movies do like this. Amanda, what do you think about the movie? It's your uh, general take or your, your first impression, what you want to say? I mean, I, I love this movie. Um, it was actually better than I expected it to be. I haven't watched it in a really, really long time. So I was kind of anticipating that it wouldn't have aged well and and then you can argue in some ways it didn't mm-hmm. but it was definitely more effective than i thought it was going to be this far from its inception um and yeah i just i i love i love the combination of the, the slight sick humor that's mixed into it and i i really enjoy the characters i always go into this movie feeling I somehow always forget that Tina is not the main character. Right. I always start it feeling like, oh, okay, yeah, oh, I, I don't remember her being blonde. And then mm-hmm. she dies, and I'm like, oh, that's why I don't remember her being blonde, mm-hmm. because it's the other girl, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting, like, 
narrative choice that early in that movie to sort of pivot so quickly from the girl who seems like she's going to be the central character and then killing her off that quickly and, and, and moving on to the friend. Yeah, it's a little little psycho-y. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Craven went with the uh, the strong, bold choice to go with the worst actress as the lead character. <laughs> <laughs> she, she okay, yeah, she's not a great. I, I would argue that Johnny Depp also is terrible in this movie. Oh yeah, no, he's I think, not very I think, good. I, this is I funny because I um, I just to, to get my thing. I I think we're going to yeah. have a strong difference of opinion between the three of us here. I think I had a, I had a dun, feeling dun, that dun. was coming. Yeah. I I don't think this movie has aged well at all, really. And um, oh really? Yeah, I I think that it's I think that its ideas are good, and like he obviously created a very iconic character, and like the way that he reinvigorated the slasher thing by having it be a dream sequence for all of the kills is a really clever idea mm-hmm. but like i think this is drenched in such 80s like tropey cliche stuff and the kills are like for all of like the greatness of the idea here the the dream world is remarkably boring it's just the normal world <laughs> that you just think that you're awakened and you're just walking yeah. around I think that may I I actually prefer that though because I think it's it's the the thing that's interesting about this that stood out to me this time is I was trying to as it was going on I was thinking is this is the story breaking its own rules by what is a dream and what isn't and what can cross over and what can't and I mm. and I don't think that it is because it seems to be setting up this general sense that the line between reality and dreams is straight up blurred and I think that works in its favor in the way that you're talking about where I I mean the 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 uh uh the linchpin of this series has always been the uh oh shit I didn't realize they were dreaming kind of thing and that's tough to do if you're going, you know, off the wall immediately. So I, I think the stuff like when she falls asleep in class is great. Mm. And it's the it's the the um real life that's just off a bit feels I think that feels more honest to a dream than if it were to kind of go over the top. I I guess my counter to that would be I I personally like the way that the series goes as it evolves. Um, I think it gets better, mm-hmm. and I think that they embrace the... I, I think if you're going to have this killer set up this way, where he's in your dreams and he kills people, they 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 don't focus on Freddy's power being the fact that he is in your nightmares. Like, they don't play up the fact that these kids have sort of fears or anything like that. It's just this weird right. world that he can live in and, and chase right. them in. Mm-hmm. And I think later on in the series, if I'm not mistaken, they do a much better job of making the dreams thematically match the kids so that Freddy has this mm-hmm. power of being like, he is your worst nightmare. Like, he can cause the kinds of things. He's basically Batman of, of like, the horror <laughs> villains. Yes, yes. <laughs> and. Yeah. That that I think that's a much better like this movie feels amazingly empty beyond its cool idea. Like it it just feels like it's a dream world where Freddy lives in and I don't think the Freddy effects really hold up very well. That thing where he stretches his arms, I think, is kinda of ridiculous. There's, this there's a couple that, that is very silly. Yeah, there's a few things that definitely don't hold up, but I think there's a lot of them that still do. I like the um I like the girl on the ceiling and I like the blood yeah. uh geyser. I think those are two <laughs> effective mm-hmm. things. But yeah, I just um I feel like the bones are here at this point, 
but I don't think that this is the best in the series that this ever did. It's not like it's one of those things where all the sequels became lesser versions of the first idea. I think they they got a better idea of what this was supposed to be as they went along. Yes and no. I think it's I think they kind of topped it out with the third one, and then after that, it became lesser versions of the third one. Sure. But anyway, that's a that's a conversation for a different time. <laughs> How um, I mean, I, I I don't. I guess we can. You can just we can start with the idea of like Kruger as a villain. Um, mm-hmm. I like Kruger as a villain for whatever reason. I was um, I was always under the impression that he was set up as a pedophile from the start, and that's not the case. But apparently, he was written in the original script as a pedophile and not a child killer, and they changed that at the last moment. So maybe I'm thinking that, but I know the the latest Jackie Haley version does have him as a pedophile. And you know, I uh, I can't remember if I watched that all the way through. Have you ever seen that, Amanda? The no, remake? I haven't. I haven't seen that one. From what I remember, it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, but I do remember there being a thing that they did that he actually is wrongly convicted of being a pedophile. Oh, yes. But I is that true? Is no, that how they do it? In the it's remake? unclear in the movie whether he is or not. Okay, so they they um, play with it. I don't know why you would play with it. It's kind of a it's a weird addition, I suppose, to yeah. add. Although I think that him being a pedophile, Wait, which, the, what's, the a, what's a weird addition? The remake version, like actually, like sort of bringing it out. I, I'm torn about whether or not he would want to be that way because I guess why I'm bringing this up is that his. I think that I think one of the problems with the way that the plot is set up here is that the kids don't know who Freddy Krueger is. Sure. I think that's yeah. a mistake because I think they should be scared of him and they should know what he is. And maybe even if they open the scene of the kids being present for his execution to to like remember him or something, because it just strikes me as strange that if you're going to have this kid's fear thing be this fearful character, that they aren't scared of him in real life before he becomes this force of nature kind of creature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think they're specifically scared of him. Like, I, I think part of the reason why this works is that everybody has nightmares. You you can't control having a nightmare. You're, you're just going to have them sometimes. And Freddy Krueger lives in that world, and you don't need to know about him. But why do they need... tell us about him then? You know because what I mean? It, yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think because that explains who he was and, and, and how... And why he's doing what he's doing, but I don't think that the kids need to know about him in order for them to be afraid of him. Um, and I and I think it actually is more for the benefit of the adults in the film that he has this backstory because I think one of the most interesting things in this movie is the mother's role. Yeah, um, where she is clearly, you know, an alcoholic and she's self-medicating because she and some other adults have done this horrible thing where they thought they were bringing justice to a situation, but they still killed a man. Yeah. And she carries this immense amount of guilt and it becomes this inherited legacy of guilt and violence and terror where, you know, the daughter is innocent of anything to do with this situation which makes it even worse that she's become such a victim to this like very evil force yeah and i i always felt like fred krueger the child killer is the uh monster for the parents 
where Freddy Krueger, the dream monster, is the monster for the kids. That's a good point. Um, because I think what this movie does really well is I think there is so much underlying psychology at work as far as how the uh, parents are handled and the fact that it's... I think this movie would still appeal to teenagers now because the the main thrust of the movie is uh, parents wanting to care for their children but also not listening to them. And I think that's a fairly universal concept for a teenager. Yeah, um, I think and, it's only a... Um, however, sorry, just, to, just to, to, to wrap up the other thing. I did notice something this time that I can't believe I never noticed and does kind of it 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 I I don't know if I'd call this a plot hole but it's it's weird the nursery rhyme the one two freddy's coming mm. for you that that Tina references at the beginning when she's like oh it's like that old nursery rhyme yeah that doesn't make any sense because if this is the first time freddy has ever shown up why would there be a nursery rhyme that they remember from when they were kids about this monster who's going to come for you when you sleep? Yeah. Unless unless the lyrics are ambiguous enough that you could say, oh, it's applied to Fred Krueger, the child killer, and it's just <laughs> a something that the kids sang, not understanding what it was. Well, I, I will say that as somebody who was a little girl in elementary and middle school, we had all those clapping games. Sure. Um, that I'm assuming you guys are vaguely familiar with, but didn't really participate in. Mm-hmm. And they have these sort of weird, obscure lyrics where you could read a lot of meaning into them. They might just be nonsense. And I remember I just learned them for the from the girls who were a year or two older than me. Right. So I inherited those things from my slightly elder peers, but I don't know where they came from, what they were initially supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. They were just something we did on the playground. So I, I could kind of, that might be a little hand wavy, but I, I could kind of see it working in that way, this sort of combination urban legend slash like oral tradition. I think the, I the problem with that those, is I think to Clay's point is Fre- Freddie's name is mentioned in the the song. They, they like specifically mention right. him by name. That's, that's why I would yeah. say if, I, I think the only way to really square it is that it's a, nursery rhyme based off the actual killer not at, based off of the dream monster yeah yeah like 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 i'm just the, i keep thinking about miss mary mac sure i don't know who miss mary mac is child killer it, she could have been <laughs> i i don't know i just know that you know we would do the the sort of clapping and chanting and and miss mary mac all dressed in black mm, sounds like a child killer Ooh, somebody called blumhouse i think there's a movie in there <laughs> i call dibs <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a small detail. It's one of those things where it's like if you start to parse this stuff out, it kind of breaks the fun of the movie. Mm. Um, you know, like if she's if if he can only attack in dreams, then why is he calling Nancy on the phone? <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas I also have heard a read of this movie that the entire thing is a dream. That's the original ending. Is it is that the original ending oh. that the entire thing was a dream? Yeah. yeah. So she <laughs> In the original ending that they did, she wakes up at the end and everything is exactly the same, except she realizes that the whole thing has been a dream and it kind of like fades. It's kind of a happy ending in some ways that Kruger never yeah. actually exists. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're working on that, 
I, I think, like I said, I think parsing that stuff out takes away the fun of it, and I think it's easier just to, you know, hand wave and say, oh, there's a general uh, blurring between the lines of uh, dream world and and real world because he can't, even though he's he's messing with Nancy when she's awake at some points, he, there's no point where he he actually attacks her. Mm-hmm. So I think you could make the you, you could make the argument that he's he's pushing the boundaries, but um, there's still that line that he can only attack when you're asleep. Yeah, yeah. I, I what you were talking about, Clay. I think is it's it's not a universal teenager thing, but he's certainly like a reaction that the '80s parents and kids had to like this latchkey generation that was yes, just starting definitely. around that yeah. point where kids are on their own and they can't rely on their parents because their parents are working and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of a unique experience for kids who are growing up in that era. Um, and I, I, the, like the, the parents here are played off as buffoons in a lot of sense. Like I, I think that the, I think the mother is actually like a terrible actress, uh, but her, her she was nominated for an Academy Award. What? Oh, really? Not for this. Not for, oh, okay. for, uh, that makes more sense. No, no, not for, not for this. Uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award for uh, Nashville, I think, a, oh. few, a few years prior. I think, you know, I've always thought her performance is really weird. This time, I actually really liked it because I thought it was a fairly convincing, my mom is always drunk performance. <laughs> really? I, I, she, she does degrade throughout the movie. She does. She yeah. does, yeah. Yeah, until she's laying on the couch at the very end going like, you have to come inside. <laughs> yeah, I gotta sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, it's, it's so... Um, just the like the alcoholic who drinks in the hallway from the hidden bottle in the laundry pile is like such a like no alcoholic drinks like that. It, it's little stuff like that that just kind of annoys me. But I mean, not to not to get into it, but that stuff does happen. I mean, there 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 are people who are alcoholics like that do hide liquor bottles in stuff places where they hope people won't look and stuff like that. So. But she, she but it is she it only is lives fairly... with her daughter. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, no, it's you know I I I know someone who did the same thing. Uh, he only lived with his wife, and he would hide liquor bottles. Right, but in you, the your back wife can toilet, judge you. Know? You you can tell your kids to go fuck themselves. <laughs> hey, basically, hey, your teenage daughter can judge the fuck out of you. Yeah, I think Nancy. Having Nancy's been a pretty, teenage daughter, I had immense powers of judgment. Nancy's fairly judgmental towards her in this movie. I She's think. kind of judgmental towards everybody. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I will say, I will say, they do kind of you know, lay it on pretty hard. Like I never noticed this before, but I actually started laughing in the scene where she uh, brings Nancy into the basement and tells her the story. And she's like, Oh, I have the glove, which is a, it's a good story. I think it's really effective, but I noticed there's a big bottle of vodka there. Mm -hmm. Like she brought, she brought a bottle of vodka with her. Either that or she keeps one down there. And it was just like on the thing next to the next to the boiler as she's reaching and pulling in this glove and telling this really dark story. So yeah, I think they may, they may overdo it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it just piles onto the the parents are incompetent, which is the the main point of it. And mm. you know, they they, I, they can't see. I I wouldn't say they're incompetent, though. I think I think generally parents are played as incompetent in movies like this. But in this mm-hmm. one, the thing that makes a difference is they actually give it a reason. It's it's. I think it's part of the. Um, fabric of the story is this idea that the parents just aren't listening to the kids even though the parents are responsible for what's happening to the kids Mm -hmm. and so giving them a stake in the story makes them makes their acting uh neglectful um and that's not even the word because they're not neglectful the parents actually care about what's happening to the kids they just don't listen to them like the cop her uh, her father 
cares about what's happening to her, but is not listening to this stuff that she's yelling at him. Uh, Glenn's parents are who are probably even the most reasonable of all the parents. At least his mom is anyway. His mom seems like a pretty nice person. Uh, but, you know, she, the crazy girl across the street is calling their son at midnight. And so her dad is just like, he's asleep. Call him tomorrow. You just got to be firm with these kids like that. It's not it's not that they don't care. It's just that they are not listening to what's happening and not paying attention to it for for either because they are kids and they think that the parents know better or because they are, in the case of the mom, um, in denial about what's what's actually being told to them. To be fair, the uh, the sheriff sheriff's deputy. I'm not going to let you, a parent, paint these parents <laughs> badly, Wes. <laughs> to be fair, the the sheriff's deputy at the end stands and watches Nancy scream, "Help me, help me!" And then yeah, for five minutes, the- and then goes, "I'll go get the sheriff." <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think also there's an element of you're kind of as the audience seeing these adults the way that the teenagers see their parents. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I, I always kind of read it that way that they, they strike you as a little bit incompetent or just obtuse or just, just generally mm-hmm. in denial of the situation because that's how a lot of teenagers feel about their parents. Like I'm trying to tell you something important and you're not listening to right. me. Um, I've also always found this movie interesting in terms of parent-child relationships because, you know, there's there's four main teenagers in this. We don't hear much about Rod's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed up to the funeral, but that's about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, that, but that's about it. But of the other three, both of the girls, their parents are divorced. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their parents are not together. So I, I don't know really... I haven't fully sussed out how I feel that impacts the movie in a deeper thematic way, but I do think it's important to note that these films usually featured very normal, you know, quote unquote, ideal suburban families. Mm -hmm. And to have two different sets of parents who are divorced has to affect these two main female characters psychologically and therefore affect how they're behaving and, and, and sort of their attitudes towards these things. And I, and I do think that the, the way the parents and the, the way the parents are presented and the way that their relationships are presented, you know, Nancy's parents being divorced, Tina's parents being divorced, at least those two, I feel they heavily imply that all of the, all of the downturn of that, those relationships are due to what they did to Fred Krueger. That's a, that's interesting. Because I always assumed, thought. I always assumed that Nancy's mom was a, was an alcoholic because she was dealing with the fact that she killed a guy. Yeah, yeah. Same. And I, I assumed that that was meant to parse itself out across the rest of the rest of the parents. Because I, you know, I actually think, I think if you made this movie now, I uh, assuming that the the original didn't exist and they just did this now. I think you could make an argument that someone would make this from the point of view of the parent and make the parent the hero because that's really what's going on is the parents did something that created this, you know, dream child killing revenge monster. And so in that story, theoretically, you would think it's up to the parent to be the person who is the hero. That's the parent who has pushed their kid away and is not listening to them and is affected by the things that they've done in their past to find redemption in saving their kid from the monster that they tried to save them from initially. A quintessential baby boomer film. Exactly. Yes. It's 
I see. They, it. they would make it now. It would star Liam Neeson, and it would he would just hunt Freddie down in the middle of uh, <laughs> Africa and shoot him in the face. Because I I think I see the theme. I I view the more the movie more as um from the point of the kids. Like I view it very much as like mm-hmm. a latchkey thing where the oh I think it's definitely that too. Yeah, the the parents are the. the Divorce to me just kind of goes into this idea of like they're divorced because it further signals the f- the breakdown of like societal norms at that point. So mm-hmm. it's like divorce is increasing, the latchkey kid thing is increasing, the kids are increasingly alone. So the parents can't help them. Yeah, against against this monster that's there, and and Kruger is supposed to represent the um the unintended consequences of this kind of societal breakdown. I don't know if um, Craven is really thinking about this this way, but it seems that it seems to be so of its era that it's like unavoidable to think about it this way. I do think he's thinking about it because I, I, I watched a few interviews with him and the way that he talks through his thought process about a lot of this stuff is very on a psychological level. Like I, I heard him talking about the creation of Freddy Krueger and and the and uh, picking of the glove and the sweater, and he said he picked the colors of the sweater because he saw on some scientific report that the colors red and green are the most displeasing color combination to look at. Yeah, clashes. so he specific. Yeah, he specifically picked it so he, he, even looking at him would feel wrong, and he picked the glove the. Uh, the the claws because he wanted it to be something that was you know elemental and what what is the first thing that people probably feared and it would be an animal an animal with claws so he picked a a, a giant claw hand how effective do you so, guys think the glove is i think it's great i think it's i think the design is great i think i always spend the entire thing thinking how hard could he possibly stab people with his little finger that's true yeah well yeah it's a movie come on the uh, the thing with the glove is uh, we can get into this a little bit more at a, a later if you want, but I think the glove broke open the floodgates for psycho killer weapons mm-hmm. because uh, the strange thing that the thing I didn't realize about this until we did it this time this came out in 1984. Halloween had already made three movies. Friday the Thirteenth had made four. So this is actually fairly late in the slasher game, like in My Bloody Valentine and all these other, rip, you know, Friday the Thirteenth knockoffs had already happened. So this is f- fairly late in the slasher game, and he manages to change the weapon from just a guy with an axe or a guy with a chainsaw or a guy with a knife into something a lot more visually interesting, and take the killer in a mask who doesn't say anything actually make him talk and turn him into a character with a, a power set that hadn't been seen up to this point. Yeah, he's to me that's the um because of how many of these films had come out before this. The whole thing about like what Craven did was to cuz slasher films are really when you break them down, they're just a sequence of creative kills. Like that's the sure. entire movie yeah. that you're going off of. So mm-hmm. at, at a certain point where Halloween and Michael Myers starts to become redundant because Myers is at least somewhat based in reality. Like he, he's a guy who is, seems unkillable, but he, he operates as a normal human. Basically mm-hmm. he walks around, he chases you, he stabs you with things. There's only so many, there's only so many kills you can get out of the Michael Myers thing before it starts becoming final destination. in that it's like, it's obviously <laughs> yes. set up to do things like this. Kruger's different because Kruger's, kill set allows you to have this surreal aspect to everything and it allows you to like really branch out into the creativity of the kill sequences 
Yeah. And that that's my disappointment with the movie is that there's not a lot of creativity to it. It's just the idea is there and it's kind of cool. There's some decent sequences, there's some not. And like overall, I think that it's actually just kind of like a prototype for what they would eventually do. But doing that as that sequence blew the gates open for the rest of the slasher films that they realized they had to kind of follow something that is not realistic like they were doing before. They have to go into the sort of dream world or they have to go into some kind of alternate reality or something. And I think that that's the biggest impact of the movie, actually, is that sense that you can become, you can loosen the shackles and like become really mm. creative with your kills once you stop working under the constraints of reality. Are, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, following what you just said, Wes, it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said, but there aren't a lot of deaths in this movie. Yeah. It's like, only four? Just the kids, I think. Well, the mom. Same with Halloween, I think. Halloween's kind of the same. There's not a lot of kills in the original Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I think, in a way, at least from my point of view, limiting the amount of death actually makes each one a little bit more impactful. Like, if there had just, if, if you had doubled the amount of teenagers killed in this movie, it wouldn't feel as big of a deal each time someone died. Like the fact mm-hmm. that the cast stays pretty small to this core group and you're not just getting the sort of Friday the 13th style. There's eight camp counselors around and they're all running around and getting, you know, chopped up and murdered. I don't know. Each one felt like it, like it had a little more to it, at least in my opinion, and, because it's limited. And it's interesting too, if you really look at the way the movie plays out, it's essentially just Nancy and Glenn for about 85% of the movie. Yeah. Because Tina gets killed almost immediately. And Poor then uh, Rod is arrested. Poor Rod. And then he gets killed fairly shortly after that. And then it's mainly Nancy for the rest of the movie. Glenn shows up every couple minutes to be like, hey, you want some onion rings? And just maybe <laughs> maybe don't be afraid. No. Glenn shows up to be incredibly unreliable at the one thing that everyone oh, is asking him to God. do. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always kind of regret. Like, I feel like. Every episode of this I've done with you guys thus far, I've always lamented that the main character is the main character. <laughs> like every time I'm just like, but you got rid of the interesting people too soon. Like when Tina, when, when, when Rod shows up and you realize that Rod and Tina, like he's not just some high school bully who's mm-hmm. there to torment the nerds. Like Rod and Tina are a couple. Yeah. They have been a couple. Mm-hmm. They're, they're clearly like, actually really into each other also not to cut you off this time i noticed that she was 15 <laughs> that was some very aggressive 15 year old sex they were having. i missed that did she say I she's 15 lived with yeah, missing they that. say in the on the corner on the tv when they when they're talking about her death they say she was 15 oh. now we all get picked up by the fbi for so having watched who's this. the real <laughs> child molester rod freddy or rod because rod's at least 25 <laughs> yeah but but like there's something it, it was weird because when Rod first shows up, I always have a visceral like, you know, my feminist tackles are raised. and I'm just like, oh, this guy. Mm-hmm. And then pretty quickly, I'm actually kind of like, well, I'm weirdly charmed. Like I, I find I find them as a couple like weirdly like, yeah, all right. He's no more. Okay. He's no more or less shitty than any other person like you went to high school with. He's not yeah. like he's not like a for at least from what we see. He's not an awful guy. He's just yeah. kind of a dick. Well, and in some ways, he's he's actually a slightly less awful guy because yeah. he shows up, he kind of cajoles her and, and 
you could say coerces her inside. Mm-hmm. They have sex. And then he's When you say like, coerces, you mean he drags her, picks her up, and drags yeah, her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a loving look, drag. Look, she was it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but no, but, but like after they have sex, he's like, hey, are, are we good? Yeah. Like, no more fighting, right? Like, we're, we're back together. Like, he's having sex with her because he wants to be back with her. Right. Whereas I feel like Glenn is the opposite, where Glenn is just oh, yeah. like, he's just a hornball. I'm yeah. just waiting for my moment when you're going to let me to, like, when you're going to let me have sex with you. Yeah. And I, I'm just waiting for that. Like, I'm dating you because I'm waiting for that. I'm going to put, get. assuming that they weren't all brutally murdered, I would, I would put my money on Rod and Tina as a long dist- long term couple than I would Nancy and Glenn. Yeah. I don't I don't think those two are going to work out. Movie um, features but they also- my, uh, so my, the movie features my favorite trope in all of movies, which is uh people having sex. The guy's mm-hmm. like ugh, ugh, he rolls off and <laughs> neither one of them clean up or throw away a condom. They just lay in their own filth and <laughs> no then fall one goes asleep. to pee. <laughs> it was 1984, man. There were no condoms. <laughs> And my, and my only the only way that they can up that is when they have the businessman who's having an affair after he's done he rolls off and he puts his pants and shirt back yeah. on and just goes yeah. back to work <laughs> and that's eventually how he gets caught yeah. um the, the 30 second sex scene from halloween yes yeah for when, <laughs> i'm sorry that's a different that's a different the, the, podcast the, 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 a different sister, and the, the sister yeah. and her boyfriend go into the yeah. house and have like 15 seconds yes. tops worth of sex and then he's like uh well i better get going i better go um but yeah, Rod is actually really interesting because I think he falls under the same sort of uh, umbrella of people not listening to these teenagers, mm-hmm. not taking them seriously and thinking that they know better than them because he is completely railroaded. I mean, obviously with, with good reason because he was there and he had a knife, et cetera, et cetera. But the the time that we spend with Rod, you get to realize he's not a bad dude. Mm-hmm. Like he... He laments the fact that he can't save her. Yeah. Um, he's not, you know, he may, maybe he's got some pot on him or something, but he's not like a, not like he doesn't seem to be like a hardcore coke addict or anything. No, but yeah, going, going to the, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who would have some pot on him mm-hmm. or, you know, have been sneaking alcohol from somewhere. He's mm-hmm. got a knife on him. Like, he's the one character in this movie that's from the wrong side of the tracks. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that he's... He's very visually, like, there's a lot of visual cues that he's the quote-unquote bad boy. He's mm-hmm. wearing a leather jacket. He's He's got the, like, slick back hair. He Actor just is seems... high on heroin at the time. Yes. Yeah. Also that, <laughs> Oh, yes. boy, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he fits that stereotype really, really well. And I think it, I think it says something that he's the one who ends up in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the obvious, you know, culprit that the that the authorities who are more straight and narrow middle america style like they they don't like him interesting because... see yeah yeah go ahead sorry no 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 you you go ahead i'm just you you get the point <laughs> i i would i would put a caveat there and say that the mm. reason he goes to jail is because he has sex and true yeah the but i people, think that go- people who have sex in this movie are punished which is why i don't know is, glenn glenn never gets any in this movie and he gets it pretty well bad. he he is he's got that tv computer monitor on his dick when he's sleeping so he's doing something to that thing <laughs> and also i mean you could you could you could go so far as to say his death is is basically his balls exploding <laughs> From pent up sexual, wow! Whatever. I'm, like wow. In, uh, that uh, took a turn. Like in Scary Movie Two, 
Anybody <laughs> see Scary Movie 2? No. No? Okay. Well, the people out there have seen it know what I mean. You're all alone. Well, I'm interested in your... um. Because I think I think the thing beyond the latchkey stuff is that I think the film is also very much a cliche trope about uh, sex uh, in the eighties and everything, and that's why Kruger being a pedophile makes sense to me. And I guess uh, Craven mm. didn't he pulled it back because at the last moment before the film was released, there was a a spate of like high profile child yeah. molestations going on, and he, he didn't oh. want to draw attention to it. So supposed, not not that I'm going to go to bat for child molesters, but I believe that was one of those cases where. It never actually happened. It was just a snowball thing. Was it like the Felsacre thing around Some, here? Something like that. Yeah, no. where like a it was satanic like, panic. Uh, yeah, it was a satanic panic mm. thing where the people who were running this daycare were being accused by the kids of molesting them. But they, it was one of those things where they, the kids didn't totally understand what was happening. But the people yeah. who were questioning them were at were asking leading them very, questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if that's not true, I totally take it all back. I don't know if they're in jail for sexual for. <laughs> Molesting no. kids, they they deserve to be there. But I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I don't know the exact case you're talking about, but uh, in the Boston area, there was the Felsacre daycare in like Malden, Medford, that oh, really? had that exact like that exact thing happen. And I don't I don't remember if the people who ran it were convicted and later that sentence was um, done away with. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the term for that mm-hmm. um, or if they were never convicted at all. But it, yeah, it was definitely a big panic around that time. Hmm. What do you what do you guys think these movies are saying about sex? Because I think it's extremely contradictory what they're saying about sex, and I don't think anyone has ever really parsed it out for me well. But the reason Kruger as a pedophile makes sense to me is because thematically the sex abuse ties into the fact that sex is seen as a kind of punishment in a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. And the the death and the like the the using Kruger as a pedophile is perhaps a little bit like distasteful on some level but it does fit the theme that i think that they're going for here and it's a weird contradiction of morality between like sex and the killing and whether or not you deserve like for for movies that are so celebratory of the death sequence they have a very strange attitude towards sex and they always use sex as a way to like you're you're going to get what you deserve basically and i'm i'm just interested why you, why you guys think that's the case i've never heard a really good convincing argument for it and it seems like all the the points go in different directions for it i mean i i think the sex leads to death sex as a gateway to a punishment through death is very much a horror movie trope um i think it was established way before this um i don't really know why that became such a thing I don't know if I can answer your question, Wes, but I don't know. Maybe I'll complicate it a little bit by saying I think it's interesting because sex is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. It puts you in a position of vulnerability. It opens you up in a way to outside forces, outside influences, and and maybe that has something to do with it. Like when these teenagers are starting to express their own individual sexuality, that's both frightening to their parents and and therefore something that the parents are trying to stand in the way of and sort of quote unquote protect them from and it also might you could say being very victim blaming here um attract the attention of a force like Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. i i always thought it was it was a trope that ended up kind of snowballing 
because of Friday the 13th. Because um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't really have that stuff in it, really. Uh, it's a fairly sexless movie. Halloween has it, but I would argue it's more what you're saying, Amanda, in Halloween, where it's less, oh, the people who are having sex are being murdered, and more, these are people who are in their most vulnerable position they can mm-hmm. be in, which makes it that much scarier that they're being murdered. I think Friday the 13th actually turns it into a punishable sin because the whole story in the first movie is that Jason Voorhees drowns in a lake because the campers were off fornicating with each other. You know, Mm. I think that in that, like, like a lot of things like this, um, sequels to that and other movies that were influenced by it took the wrong message from it Mm. where it turned into kind of the thing where it's like, Oh, well, if you have sex, obviously you're going to get killed. Because I actually don't think that the nightmare movies are really that sexy. Um, the there's only the one sex scene in this one. Uh, you know, like we said, Glenn gets killed. He doesn't have any sex with anybody. Uh, the second one, the second one is is a whole different kettle of fish because that one is all about uh, struggling with your sexuality as a gay man, which is really fascinating. Mm. Um. But the rest of them, it's not really a you have sex, you get killed series. There's a lot of other things that end up playing into what causes the deaths um, and what Freddy is 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 going after, especially as you were saying, Wes, once it starts getting a lot more specific to each person, um, what their fears are and what their nightmares are, it's, it's very much not a, um, you know, two people screw and then get killed kind of series. Yeah. I, I I think I just, what's funny to me is that Craven seems more intelligent than to just copy paste that trope into this movie. And, and I, don't, I don't think that he is copy pasting it into this movie. Then what, what, is, what is this movie saying about the sex? You just say it doesn't, you're just saying it, it's not as strong of a force as the other movies? Yeah, I, I don't think he's, I don't think it's being used the way that, that it's used in a lot of the other movies where it's just, you know, you have sex and you die. Because I, I, I don't know if there's a, I guess you could. But even Droth. if if Freddy if Freddy's designed as a pedophile, sex is inherent to his character. Yeah, but I mean it's it's pedophilic sex. It's not like sex with your girlfriend. You know, it's 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 the most awful version of sex you could imagine. <laughs> right, but that that doesn't change the fact that he's ori- he's originally conceived as a sexual creature, and he seems to be go- like the kids growing up and having sex with each other seems like it thematically ties into that and he only he craven only cuts it out at the end because he doesn't want to get involved with the news cycle at that point so mm. i i think well that- okay in that case maybe you could argue that freddie is going after teenagers who are becoming sexual beings because they are now out of the range of his pedophilic tendencies so he's going to murder them he's, he's, uh, he's angry about growing up yeah <laughs> yeah essentially he's like a really twisted peter pan yeah or or because i think the fred krueger character and i liked the dichotomy that you drew earlier about like fred krueger was the child killer the parents dealt with and freddy krueger is the nightmare monster that mm-hmm. the kids deal with um if you align this sort of krueger character in either iteration with the parents, then maybe in some way he's representing the parents' fear of their mm-hmm. children growing up and their sure. children becoming more sexual and their their children sort of escaping their parents' influence and, and putting themselves out there and putting them in these 
putting themselves in these positions that are inherently vulnerable and a lot of people, especially at the time, would argue dangerous. Mm. So, See, that, that's another interesting thing to think about What, uh, from the standpoint that I said, if this would be really interesting to see the story told from the point of view of the parent. Yeah. Because all of that stuff, I think you're probably right, but that stuff thematically, I think, when, when you think about that stuff and put it on paper, it feels much more like the parent's story. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening. I think that's yeah. it's de- definitely possibly there. But it's it's a weird it's weird to think how much Freddy is a villain of the parents who is then dealt with by the children. It's very much a sins of the the father sins kind of, the of thing. Yeah, yeah which yeah. I, I hate. I hate using that phrase. It's so cliched. <laughs> Star Trek podcast <laughs> reference. The um, yeah. <laughs> I it's funny. I I you guys both seem to feel that the parents feel guilty for it. And I, mm-hmm. I strongly disagree with that, which is an interesting little, like, that's why I think that the parents' point of view wouldn't be really interesting to me, because I don't think that they should feel guilty or that they do feel guilty about what they did. Um, I always read it as just, when the kids tell them, like, look at this hat, it says Freddy Krueger on the inside. He wrote his name. And then the par- the parents are, the parents aren't shocked by the guilt of it. I think that they're just being triggered by the memory of it and, like, reliving mm-hmm. a horrible mm-hmm. time in that neighborhood that they all went through because I I don't get a sense that the parents should feel bad because Kruger's obviously a monster. And as he's originally envisioned, he's even, he's even more of a monster, I guess you could argue. Um, But that's interesting that you both kind of like the parents perspective in a way that I, uh, or I don't consider it that to be the case anyway. Well, I think it's, I think it's important to the story. I don't think it's the focus of the movie. I think it's, it's a, it's a good bit of world building that they do to give more weight to the way that the parents act. Um, uh, as far as the genesis of the monster and as far as how they, how they handle their kids and stuff, I think they're, I think it is a good bit of world building to, uh, to kind of back that stuff up. So you guys would both, uh, I'm, neither of you like my idea of the kids being aware of Freddy Krueger from the start. Eh, you like him know. being a mystery. I, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what you what you really gain by that. Uh, it's it's kind of like watching a vampire movie when everybody knows what vampires are, which I never really care for because it's uh, you know there's always that scene where it's not, where someone shows up and they're like, oh my god, he's a vampire. How do you what do we do? It's like, well, you can't use crosses because this isn't the movies, kid. You know, like the I I enjoy I enjoy the idea that this is a new monster. That has been. Uh, it's. It actually reminds me a lot. It's basically High Plains Drifter, but with monsters instead of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I just. I, I really like the thematic idea of this pedophile killer character, right? Gets put away, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. crimes he's committed still live on in your psyche, and he's representative of your psyche. Like the the wounds that they've suffered from the uh, the Kruger, the person is mm-hmm. still terrifying them in their nightmares. Like, they can't shake him. And I think that that's an effective way to go. When they introduce him as a sort of strange character that none of them have ever heard before, even though apparently they wrote a lullaby about him in the past five years mm-hmm. that everyone seems to know, it just strikes me as odd. And it's only done as the reveal that the parents can then reveal this shocking twist about what Freddy Krueger is. And I don't find that as effective, I guess. So can you can you guys remind me what is the time frame like like when did Freddy Krueger the man die? 
within these parents' life, like these parents were the ones that killed him, right? Right. Yeah. So right, I would but say if that was within a decade years ago, yeah, ten to fifteen years ago. Okay, so then then I think that you know if if you guys had said. Oh yeah, there's a there's a line in the movie where it was five years ago. I would have been like, oh yeah, absolutely. The, the, all the kids should know about this. Mm-hmm. But it could have been, you know, twelve years ago. If these kids are fifteen, right? That means they're all toddlers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, there's no older siblings in this movie. I was just thinking yeah, that's that. A good, that's a good point. Yeah, I was just thinking that because you could argue that there's room for an older sibling to act as sort of the magic book character who knows about Freddy and who, who Freddy was as a person. Can exist in like, both you know, the parent and the kid's world with them. Yeah. yeah. That, that would have helped, the, I think. The, the older sibling who's like never home and is a drug addict or something, and it's all a result yeah. of the, the trauma from Fred Krueger, et cetera, et cetera. I guess they just wanted to really split the... the I, I understand why not including that character, even though I kind of like the idea of that, is to just to really separate the kids from the parents. Like, they're just two different groups sure, of people yeah. that you never interact yeah. with each other. I yeah. I was going to say I'm surprised they never get into that in the sequel, but it's like, why even bother in the sequel? That, that, that character only serves a purpose in the in the Cat's out of the bag story. with Freddy, yeah, yeah by yeah. that point. Yeah. I think that's... Mm-hmm. I honestly think that's sort of who the mom is supposed to be character wise because everything that she does is stuff that i would give to this fictional older sibling character you know so i think it's sort of like just conservation of character mm, yeah but I, I i i agree that it probably would have been a nice addition mm. i think the other thing too is this movie's like an hour and a half right very quick yeah. it's very pretty quick. it's pretty tight um and for for as as short as it is they do some they spend a lot of time just doing sort of you know dream sequency stuff that's sort of long and, and drawn out. So I guess you just got to kind of keep it moving at that point. Mm, yeah. What do you guys think of the ending? Um, I hate the ending. The, how she how she defeats him? I, I don't like anything from when they go outside to the porch. <laughs> you know what I mean? From when, when, when she, when she, she turns up. her back and then wakes up. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like all slightly misty. Yeah. Like, oh, the, oh the, very, the, very the, very, oh, the very end. The very end. The very end. Yeah, the ending scene. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate it. Yeah, it's it's what it, it's whatever. It it's I, I know that they did that because the producer wanted to have a room for a sequel and be, you know, a, a bit more of a shock ending kind of thing, like the old Carrie thing. Um, I read but, a bunch yeah, of the is, endings and I don't really like any of them. So I don't know if it's a movie that can really get a good ending and be that, faithful. Yeah. I think that the, the thing that I think the thing that greatly upsets me about the ending that they went with is that it kind of feels like it makes the movie all for naught in a way that I find really unsatisfying. And not like it was like a it, mm. not like the twist is really like oh like clever like they actually didn't defeat him. I just feel it's like oh that's kind of a cheap trick just to say that like even though like. Even though she did all the things in this Native American thing of not turning your back on your dreams or whatever, like even though they do all that and he disappears, he still just comes back at the end. Right. And right. if there's some sort of thematic thing there about like what I was talking about, like you'll never shake Freddy Krueger, I could appreciate that, mm-hmm. but I don't think the movie builds towards that. It just does it as kind no. of a twist ending. Can I ask? So the ending, I I feel like I would have appreciated, and what. I kind of was almost hoping for the first time this was th- that I watched this movie was that she runs Nancy runs down the path into the car with her friends mm-hmm. and as they're driving away the mom raises her hand and it's the Freddy Krueger glove. Oh yeah. Like, that would be pretty good. I could yeah. I kind of could have gotten behind that. Like 
you know, both the hint that he's not gone, maybe literally, but also that he's not gone figuratively. Yeah. That the, the, the kind of mark he's left on the mom is so indelible that you're never going to escape kind of this legacy he's forced on these people. I, I get behind that. Yeah. I see. The, what, um, what, is some, go ahead. what are some of the other ones? Some of the other endings. Yeah, do you have them in front of you? Uh, the one that they were going to do was that the, it's exactly the same, and the kids get into the car, and the convertible top goes up, except Freddie is the driver of the car, and then the car oh. drives off. Yeah, that's pretty lame. That's that like that's silly. like Friday. The, that's like Nightmare Part Four shit, right? Yeah. There. The the original <laughs> one is that it's all a dream, which is whatever. Um, I think, mm. uh, and they were all kind of variations on freddy being in a different place like freddy freddy's just there but he's he does yeah. a different thing and apparently they settled on to freddy pulls the mother through the window because they thought it was funny they thought it was the funniest yeah. option of all of them <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's really the best reason to choose that ending but it's i what don't they think went it with. is for this movie yeah it looks real silly <laughs> um the the thing that i find interesting about that though is it kind of that ending beat plus even the way that she in- inevitably defeats him Brings up an interesting point with this kind of character because how do you defeat this guy? Like what? How do you find a satisfying way on mm-hmm. film to dis- to defeat Freddy Krueger? Because I think the I think the uh, the way that she beats him in the bedroom works because of the type of character she is. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean pulling him into the, the real world? Well, uh, I mean specifically turning her back on him and taking his power oh, away, oh, that sure. kind of stuff. I think that I think that works um, because of the type of character she is and the stuff that she's going through in the movie and blah 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 blah. Um, I actually I would disagree. I guess I, I feel that the turning your back thing feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. They foreshadow it yeah. earlier, but it feels like it was just like stuck in at a later stage of the script that they needed a way to beat him, that's, sort of. That's what I mean. I, I don't know what else you can do when you're presented with this type of character that feels like a satisfying way to defeat him. I think you have to like face you your fear, right? It's not... Ter- I, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, she does, though. I but mean, I, she sends him through the Home Alone death maze. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, I actually think that the um, the pulling him into the real world I works. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it is a face your fear ending. It it it's sort of like take what you're afraid of and drag it out into the light and and mm-hmm. and put it in the light of day and confront it and talk about it. Or you know, obviously with Freddy Krueger, you don't just talk to him. Um, but it, but it like as somebody who has real life night terrors, it often helps to talk about them hmm. in the real world with people because then you're like, yeah, that actually does sound really dumb that's yeah. not scary at all right that's interesting yeah yeah um i, I like he, he doesn't do a lot of talking what's that i'm sorry well, I, I like the I, I i would have stuck with the pull him into the real world and what, what's interesting is that there's all i was reading all this stuff that craven didn't want to turn this into a franchise however he ended it in such a way that it seems impossible Oops. to not turn it into a franchise yeah well yeah. that was i think that was studio mandated it, yeah but it's um but if you but even in Craven's original, I guess Craven's original ending, it kind of implies that he never really existed anyway, so you can't do it. But there, there's no definitive ending to Craven's story where Kruger is killed or shown the way that you actually defeat him. You know, he either mm-hmm. doesn't exist or he just kind of comes back all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is kind of a strange thing, um, the way that they choose to go, because he is such a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he is such a a 
sort of ambiguous villain because he's so powerful. How do you defeat that? I like the mm-hmm. idea of, of, you know, facing it. I feel like that. I think it, it works okay that she turns her back because, you know, they set it up or whatever. But I've always felt like that was fair. That was, it seems like it's a, okay, what do we do? We can't just shoot him in the face. Right. Yeah. How do we get rid of the this The sledgehammer guy? didn't kill him. What are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah, we set him on fire five times. You know, it's, and the, there's definitely more, I, you know, there, there's a, like I said before, there's, there's a lot more of a psychological through line in this movie than there is in a lot of these other uh, slasher movies. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me that the ending was a little bit more abstract. The way that they defeat him is a little bit more abstract. Yeah. Like compare that to the way they defeat him in the third movie where they, I don't even remember what the hell they do. Oh, they, <laughs> they, they bury his bones on consecrated ground mm, or something yeah. like that. And oh, he bursts boy. into flames or something, <laughs> it, which is, it's fine. I mean, it's more cinematic, I guess, but there's something, yeah. there's something kind of satisfying about facing him down and then being like, yeah, you're not shit. And just walking away. But I don't know. It, they don't, they don't set that up a, a, as much as they could. Have. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't like the way that they set that up because it seems like it just comes from, because when you look at it, Tina and then Nancy, who I will say, it's really interesting that they're the only ones who face him in dreams. That's a good point. Yeah. Like on, only the girls ever have to face yeah. him down in I, a dream. I want to get into that in a little bit. But yeah. Go ahead. Um, but they both turn their back on him in the dreams mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. They're constantly just like, nope, don't want to deal with this. Time to go away. Yeah. Um, and the way that they set it up as sort of a method for defeating him is just Glenn. Yeah. Glenn read a book once. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's just like, why are you it? the authority on on whether or not this like this technique will work? Yeah, yeah. So, happened, and he happened to offhandedly mention it once. Yes, right before he yeah. got sucked into a bed. See, that 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 issue of Reader's Digest he had mentioned the <laughs> Balinese style of dreaming. <laughs> Mom, I'm in here watching Miss Nude America. Get the fuck out of my. <laughs> which room. was like oh on my God. which was on basic cable. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually kind of wanted to ask you guys because um. For Vampire in Brooklyn, we talked a little bit about the sort of unusual Wes Craven brand of humor. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the way that that came out in this movie? I it's think Freddy. it's a lot. What's that? <laughs> I just think it's Kruger. It's Kruger's sort of like um, personality. Yeah, I think it's that, but I think it comes out in a lot of other places too. I think yeah. uh, Kruger's personality definitely, it's a lot more subdued here than it is in later movies. But... uh I mean, there's there's a lot of lines in this that are that are that are played straight, but are clearly meant to be funny. Like when mm-hmm. Tina wakes up at the beginning, and her mom is like, "Honey, you either need to cut your fingernails or just quit that dreaming." <laughs> 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 After she wakes up with her shirt absolutely like, shredded, like shreds. cold sweat, you need to cut your fingernails, sweetie. Yeah, you just gotta stop it. Yeah. Um the the two lines that I wrote down for like in my mind like MVPs of bad humor in the midst of horror are uh when freddy krueger says over the phone to nancy i'm your boyfriend uh, now <laughs> all timer so good and then after glenn dies one of the one of the sheriff's deputies says you won't need a stretcher up there you'll need a mop yeah mm-hmm. or it's like when the dad dude. when the dad goes up and says where's the corner and the guy's like he's been in the bathroom puking his guts out yeah. for 15 minutes <laughs> Yeah, it's just there are these little sort of background, uh, like almost throwaway lines, usually amidst the like sheriff's deputies or some some of the adults sort of just like hanging around in some of the scenes and in in 
in the sheriff's, you know, office slash jail that are just like, if you pay enough attention to them, they're almost incongruously humorous to what's going on with the main characters mm-hmm. who are feeling so much anxiety and stress. And then in the background, you've got like deputy so-and-so like quipping about the things. the line you said, Wes, where, where she's screaming at the wind out the window and he's like, huh, maybe I should go get the lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> and then she yells at him, go get my dad, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Or, uh, I mean, even when she wakes up when she's dreaming in the classroom and she freaks out and then she leaves and the teacher's like, you're going to need a hall, you're going to need a hall pass. Need a hall yeah. pass. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think, I think the humor is definitely there it, um, um, uh, in ways that comes out. It, it's, it's, I think it's even here has some of that subversive scream humor mm-hmm. built into it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so, the, most of the humor to me, obviously from what you guys have listed is it builds off of the, um the parents obliviousness like old yes. people's obliviousness mm-hmm. is kind of the yeah. joke yeah um so how do you guys feel about the you know we, we were talking about the the uh if you have sex you die trope how do you feel about the final girl thing what's the final girl the the idea the, yeah, the oh, idea the final in these movies <laughs> yeah yeah, the, the, there's always one girl left who ends up being the person to face down the monster, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And she's usually the uh, most virtuous of the group or whatever. Hmm. Um, I personally think that Nancy is the best franchise final girl because... Really? She, yeah. Because she is, even in at this point, she is the first one who is being proactive in how she's defeating this monster. Whereas almost, I mean, pretty generally it ends up being a girl. I'm to, I, I guess I shouldn't up to this point. She's the only one who's been proactive in, in defeating the monster when usually it's a girl who ends up being the last one just because of the way that the, 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 uh, the way people are killed, the way they end up falling out. She's the last one. Mm-hmm. And then she's ends up being very reactive to what's happening where it's like, She's running away. She's screaming. She's backed into a corner. She had, she swings an axe wildly and cuts Jason's head off or something like that. It's yeah. ne- I I never feel like it has the uh, proactiveness that Nancy has, where she's actually taking the reins and being like, "All right, how am I going to defeat this guy?" Yeah, the I am. I almost feel that she goes overboard. Like I, I always feel that Nancy <laughs> kind. Mean- I feel like you got to go as overboard as you can if you're fighting Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I, I feel that she she buys into it really k- kind of quickly. Like I, the thing yeah, that always like makes immediately me, the thing that always makes me laugh is she's like, "Dad, t- like please pray to God, like pray to Christ, get over here in 20 minutes." And then she does about five hours worth of stuff. Yeah, in- it takes. That, it takes I wrote her that. I wrote that minutes, down. Yeah. I was like, her Home Alone montage took about 15 minutes. She talks to her mother. She said, we only mother. have 20 minutes. Yeah, she talks to her mother. She sets up all these traps. She builds like bombs and puts up a sledgehammer into the <laughs> like the joists of the ceiling. And then she mm-hmm. comes back, checks her watch, and there's still 10 minutes left to fall asleep. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and she falls asleep in 10 minutes, which even for someone extremely exhausted, I feel like if you are a normal person and you lie down with the intention of forcing yourself to mm-hmm. fall asleep as soon as possible... It's not going to come out. I I couldn't remember the chain of events because it's been a while since I've watched this, and I'm go- and I'm watching this going like, so Glenn's supposed to come over at midnight. Did she already set all that stuff up? Because she's 
<laughs> she needs to she's set the stuff it up really close. She's cutting it really close, and also she's chugging coffee and 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 no dose pills. Mm. Oh my god! When she pulls the cut, co- when her mom comes in and clears out all the mugs and everything from her room, and is like, "Go to sleep, honey," and she's like, "Okay, mom." And then she pulls the coffee maker out from under the nightstand. <laughs> yeah, it was like this is my favorite thing. That's a good. That's a good joke. But but yeah, she the, the timeline it doesn't make. It, it, I mean, yeah, for, but for your your thing, Clay, I just think that she it, she it, it, it kind of fits hand in hand with the solution is to just turn your back on him. Like the kids kind of come up with the solution. It, to me, feels very artificial in how they arrive at this. And Nancy goes very gung ho into taking on Kruger. Um, mm. with fairly like limited experience with him, like I feel like mm-hmm. you need more interaction to sort of kind of suss out what Kruger would fall for. But she she immediately goes into it. I think maybe the, to argue it in your point, they do build up the fact that she has been battling falling asleep for the first half of the movie constantly. And I think that mm-hmm. at a certain point, you just kind of give up and you go into it with that because she can't stay awake any longer. But it 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 didn't strike me as horrible, and it also strikes me as a little bit weird just timing wise that they they jump into it so quickly yeah i i i also going along with your conversation about the final girl Mm -hmm. jamie lee curtis in halloween will always be my favorite final girl Mm -hmm. i i just i know she doesn't necessarily have the same proactive streak that nancy does right but i i i feel like she's a much more realistic portrayal of just a normal teenage girl who's found herself in this absolutely batshit insane situation and adapts way faster. Like once she realizes she's not crazy, she hasn't just been imagining this guy following her around. It only takes her one night to sort of like, you know, deal with, deal with all the shit. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Nancy, you don't really get a sense of how much time passes the, yeah, the only thing they say is that she hasn't slept for seven days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then and then more time passes after that. So it's also interesting because I understand, thinking about that, I understand to some extent why the adults in the film don't necessarily believe her mm-hmm. because she has been very, very obviously depriving herself of sleep right. for a week and change. Which means that she's really not in her right mind. It's 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 very easy to sort of write off her judgments and and what she thinks is going on because she is. I mean, you know, people use sleep deprivation for torture, right? And and so it kind of puts her in this like unreliable narrator position. There's one weird scene though. There's after the tub scene. Right, where she's screaming mm-hmm. for her mother to help. When her mother comes in and says, what happened? She goes, nothing. I fell asleep in the tub. Yeah. Why does yeah. she say that? I just assumed it was because at that point she wasn't even sure what was happening yeah. yet. But hadn't, hadn't she had the conversation with her mother at that point? No. no I think I that happens think so. earlier. Oh, I'm, okay. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that happens before they have the conversation. Oh, I, I thought I remember yeah. watching it thinking, you guys just had this crazy conversation. Why aren't you talking to your mother about like, see, see what happens? No, because they don't have the conversation until after she gets taken to the dream, the dream lab. And that's where it lost me. Like, yeah. I, I was willing to sort of be on the side of her mom in in terms of like, it would it made sense to me up until that point that her mom was sort of like, look, what you're doing is not healthy. You need to get some sleep. <clears throat> 
Yeah. You cannot live like this. This is this is not sustain sustainable. You need to get some sleep. And then she takes her to the dream lab. They hook her up. There's a doctor and everything sort of monitoring her, yeah. saying, oh, worst, now she's fine. Worst doctor dialogue we, I've ever heard, I think. <laughs> Craven had no, no idea was, how to write medical it was, dialogue. It was almost <laughs> as bad as Craven's police dialogue yeah, from yeah. Vampire in Brooklyn. Um, but they li- they literally watch her not only have a night terror, but have a night terror that physically injures her in a way that she could not have possibly done herself yeah. because they were watching it. And she sh- and she wakes up with a hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wakes up with a hat. They put her to bed. They put her in yeah. a-, a hospital gown and yeah. put her to bed and she just pulls this hat out of God knows where and still her mom goes, well, I really think you should get some sleep. Yeah, the uh, the doctor who is actually the voice of Roger Rabbit, that guy. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Clay, he, I love your movie trivia. I know. It's just, you know, <laughs> nooks and crannies. Um, he gives dialogue that is a, essentially the same as when uh, Ron Burgundy talks about what San Diego means. Because mm-hmm. he's like, what does San Diego mean? And he's like, well, no one really knows anymore. It's like, what are, what are dreams? We don't really know. They could be anything. They could be the uh, remnants of a past life pushing through its uh, primordial stuff. Yeah, he has some. Like, he has some poetic line as his first line. He's like, "They are the cloud stuff that that, yeah. that like that like hope and dreams are made of, or something." He has some like bizarrely non medical. The unburdened stardust of yeah. hopes in the future. But you know, it is, it is actually interesting because I, I am not a scientist, but from what little I do know, we actually don't know physically why like humans have to sleep and Mm -hmm. we we don't fully understand medically and scientifically what dreams are so that it's kind of like they gave him silly dialogue to express something that would have actually been really interesting and and at least again as far as i know in my very limited knowledge fairly uh factually accurate that i would actually think would add a layer to the movie but yeah. they give him such silly dialogue around it. Well, that scene in particular breaks what I think is an otherwise well-considered environment. Because I talk about this on the podcast all the time, this idea that mm. you need when you're doing a movie like this or, or stories in general, you need to have a good understanding of what the, the scope of your environment is. That's why there's never cops in Jason movies. Like mm. they're always in a limited environment where this stuff can happen. You don't have to worry about, oh, what if the police show up? Because then you got to deal with how the police are going to react to it, blah, 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 blah. This one, they get around that by having the police p- play a big role that's explained. They have the parents play a big role that's explained. The, the sleep doctor, on the other hand, is the one thing where it's like, if you're going to go to the sleep doctor mm-hmm. and you're going to wake up from a dream with stab wounds on your arm and a magic hat in your crotch, <laughs> you're, that's the, the rest of the movie should be like 1,400 sleep doctors trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Like yeah. You can't just do that and then never bring it up again. Yeah, and then have all the adults in the entire film just go, well, I guess that was nothing. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, it, it kind of, br- it breaks the it breaks the wall of your believability of your story because you're breaking right. out through it, that Because there's no wall. more plausible deniability exactly. for the yeah. ad- adults in Doctor's the movie. Doctor's like, uh, I'm sorry to tell you guys this, but I only have clinic days on Tuesdays, so. Uh. <laughs> you're going to have to wait another seven days to come back. 
But this uh, movie takes he's only there once a week. This movie takes place on a Tuesday and the end of the movie actually is on Monday. So like they were gonna go back, but uh he was actually in, in the Bahamas. On, on you know, her mother's time. in between jobs, switching insurance is always a pain in the ass yeah. and stuff wow. like that. You know, in my whole experience as a sleep doctor, this has never happened. This is really interesting. I'm going on vacation. I gotta go. Can we talk when I get back? Because I really want to uh, deal with this. Doctor uh, Doctor Smith is a sports medicine doctor, but he will be able to help you going forward. I think. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's uh, let's take a break. We'll play a clip from the movie, then we'll come back and we'll give our final thoughts about a nightmare on Elm Street. You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least twenty kids in the neighborhood kids we all knew it drove us crazy when we didn't know who it was but it was even worse after they caught him did they put him away all the lawyers got fat and the judge got famous but somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place and Kruger was free just like what did you do, Mother? A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. We found him in an old abandoned boiler room where he used to take his kids. Go on. Took gasoline. We poured it all around the place and made a trail of it out the door. Then lit the whole thing up and watched it burn. All right, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much. You can go to patreon.com slash thepenskefile if you want to support the show. A couple dollars a month, extra stuff, all kinds of good stuff. There's extra podcasts and things. You can go there, patreon.com slash thepenskefile. So let's go to our final thoughts about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Who wants to go first? If neither of you do, I can go first. And something the negative Nancy, I guess, about the movie relatively. <laughs> uh, I'll go. Um, yeah, I, I still, I think this is... I think it's great. I think it's really creative. I think it really broke open the slasher mold. I I personally think that the Freddy and the the Elm Street series is the best slasher series, if only because it's the most consistent. Like Freddy's the best character because he actually is a character. He's got a story. He's got a power set that that you can look to as to uh, you know why things happen. He doesn't just become a zombie in the fifth movie or just <laughs> become the living embodiment of ancient cult evil in the sixth movie or whatever the um they have a thing that he does he has a concept and every movie is just exploiting that concept to the best of their budgetary ability for the most part mm-hmm. um and i just always i think i think freddie is just a really great scary villain uh obviously he gets sillier and sillier but i think here and the first three movies i think he's at his peak of effectiveness. And uh, if you ask Robert Englund, because uh, I watched an interview with him today, and he essentially takes credit for every advance in pop pop filmmaking after 1984, he says is somehow in some way or another a result of Freddy Krueger and what he did as Freddy. He's mm-hmm. a very interesting person to listen to an interview with. Um, but yeah, I think it's a classic. I think it's got that first 20 minutes or so is still an all-timer, even if the rest of it gets a little silly here and there. Um. Yeah, I just think it's great, Amanda. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I love this movie 
I think for very different reasons than Clay does, actually. Um, I, li- I like and appreciate Freddy, but he's not the main draw for me. Sure. Um, the things I think I like about it the most are, I-, I think it really conveys that sense that you have when you're a teenager, that you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Like, you can try to rely on your friends, you can try to rely on your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and even then, you're you're maybe not going to get that support because either they have their own things going on in their lives, their parents keep them away from you, um, and you certainly can't rely on your own parents. So you have to sort of tackle these really big, frightening issues on your own. And I think this movie does a great job of giving you that atmosphere. Um, I also love this movie and because I think it's kind of the beginning of Wes Craven's preoccupation with meta i Mm. think this is where he sort of starts to turn to horror movie tropes and you know like like the sex equals death and the slasher film tropes And, and i think this is when he starts to look at those and say how can i sort of explode these tropes how can i use them and also subvert them at the same time and i i think you could trace a really clear line from the work he does in this film, like directly to the Scream franchise. There's also, we didn't even talk about it, it's just a little detail, another piece of trivia. Um, uh, the movies that she's watching on TV is yeah. Evil Dead. Yes. And that is a back and forth in joke between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven that happens across three oh, movies. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> so in the first Evil Dead, uh, <laughs> they when they go down to the basement, there's a poster for The Hills Have Eyes, which is a Wes Craven movie that's yep. been torn in half. The reason it's torn in half is because when Sam Raimi saw The Hills Have Eyes, there was a scene with a Jaws poster torn in half, and he took that to mean it was Quest Craven saying, Jaws used to be the pinnacle of horror. Mm. That's all done. The Hills Have Eyes is here. So when they did Evil Dead, they did the same thing. So in response to that, when Wes Craven made Nightmare on Elm Street, he has, them watch, has her watching Evil Dead. And then when Sam Raimi made Evil Dead 2... There's a scene where the Freddy Krueger glove is actually in the uh, the work shed, as it were, where uh, he where Ash gets the chainsaw. Mm. So your point's invalid, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I actually think that kind of goes along with what Let's you're saying. Fight. I Let's think it's, fight. Let's fight. I think that actually kind of goes with what you're saying because that is a very sort of meta take where yeah, he's actually it, it, referencing exactly. other movies and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like like I I I think this is sort of. At least in my opinion, my very amateurish, amateurish opinion, the moment that Wes Craven really fully embraces the sort of like, I'm I'm gonna lean into these tropes and mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what else I can do with them outside of the traditional bounds. Yeah, I think um, I don't Boo. find <laughs> Wes, you're Boo. such a hater. I don't think slasher movies are particularly scary to me. Um, mm-hmm. If Amy managed to watch this without a single look away. Last night, it's not a scary movie, in my opinion. Like, Amy's scared of everything. Um, and what I think is truly terrifying is the idea of Kruger and the idea of this sort of, like, the worst crime that something could happen to your child happening when he's originally visioned as a pedophile instead of just child murder thing, because I think that's a better storyline mm-hmm. for it. When the worst thing that can happen to your child... I love, I love in this distinction, pedophilia, bad. Child murder, <laughs> eh, that's fine. I would, I, but to, so if you, if you have this set up like this, right? I know what you mean though. The, the pedophilia thing is the lasting impact. Like the, 
Sure. Mm. That Kruger's supposed to represent that. The murder actually kind of closes the book on things in a way that I think is yeah. not what the story is saying. The pedophilia yeah. bit keeps it going and it keeps it alive. And I think that if you're dealing with a story about parents' guilt and not being able to do it to protect their children or the kids being terrified of this monster that there was there and now he sort of lives in their heads, that's really terrifying. What's not terrifying is watching... Uh, Robert Englund or whoever his stunt double was run around with long arms and stuff like that. Like when, when I see Kruger personified, I think that he's ridiculous. And I think that there's a better way to portray this character. And when he's sort of standing in the shadows, like tapping his uh, knives on pipes and things like that, that's more effective mm-hmm. than when he talks or does anything. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really a tr- like he I, I I found that there was more unintentional comedy in this than there was scary things happening in it at this point. And I think that that's where it's kind of falling apart for me, even though I think the idea is really good. So to wrap it up, Craven, I like the idea. I like what you did here. I don't personally like the execution for how it works, and I, mostly because I'm not a fan of the slasher genre in general, even though I think you did something really creative with it. But it doesn't it doesn't terrorize me or like really make me scared or uh, psychologically horrific in a way that I like for horror movies to do. You know, it's it's funny because I, I was thinking about this not too long ago where they remade it once. It really didn't work. Uh, Amanda, you said earlier that he doesn't talk very much in this movie. I watched mm-hmm. one clip on YouTube from the remake. Yeah. It's 80% him talking. It's it's really bad. Yeah, we, we, yeah, it's not, it's not a... Yeah. No, he, he does a lot of talking and it, it, it's not great. Um, but I was thinking a while back, if they were to remake Nightmare on Elm Street again, I think you would need to do a ground up re-envisioning of what Freddy Krueger is. Yeah. Because I think Robert Englund's look is so iconic and so very specific to him, his portrayal of that character, that I think if you want to make him scary again, I think you need to break that mold and do something different. I don't know what that is. I think you can keep elements of it. I think you can keep the claw, and I think you can. I think it just needs to be re envisioned and and worked through again. He needs to be. He needs to be less of a monster mask. Craven designed him because he wanted to have a monster mask, but he didn't want the guy to actually have to wear a mask. He wanted it to be a human face that was still mask like. Mm-hmm. Actually, originally he cast uh, David Warner to yes. play Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he uh, was looking at older actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make that would actually be. I actually think that would be the direction to go if yeah. if somebody were to remake it. Is just just pick find an actor who is much much older mm. and sort of lean into that element of it. This sort of the the terror of what adults can inflict upon these young and vulnerable people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think he has to be normaler than he eventually becomes. Yeah. Um, he yeah. has to be sort of like you could blend into a crowd kind of thing. Um, yeah. He could be the weird old neighbor down the street who right. lives in that spooky yeah. house He's or just something. That, that guy from Family Guy. The, I don't, I don't that's want to that. the, the old man. The old, man <laughs> yeah, pedophile, the old, the yeah. old weird, creepy guy <laughs> who you, likes... Uh, yeah, I got some family. popsicles in my basement. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's. Um, <laughs> what is happening? I'll show. You, I'll show you a video when we're done. I don't know. Let's call it a day. Let's call it a day right there. I <laughs> okay. think uh, we're, we're jumping off of the Family Guy jokes. So, a Nightmare on Elm Street. It is Craven's highest rated at ninety four percent. His lowest rated was Vampire in Brooklyn. We'll be back with a B roll that is yet to be decided, but we will decide on it soon. So we'll be back for that. Otherwise, I guess Happy Halloween to everybody out there. This is coming out on Halloween, and I think that's it, guys. Do you have anything you want to say before we sign off? 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, it makes sense now to mention that Amanda and I will be dumping Wes due to his blasphemous opinions about Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> and doing a uh, horror podcast called The Rotten Horror Picture Show, which is kind of a skew a skew off of uh, Real Ripe and Real Rotten because we're going to yeah. be doing the uh, 200 highest rated horror movies on Rotten Tomatoes because I figured it was the easiest way to have like a structure to it. And it's a pretty good list. <laughs> I recommend checking it out. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to be doing that. I don't know when it's going to come out. We've got to get a few of them in the can, I think, before we put it out. But yep. look forward to that. This will be two of them. Two of them done. <laughs> yeah. So, that. yeah, I think... I think I was actually thinking that. I was like, maybe when Clay and I start doing our separate thing, when on that list we hit, like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Nightmare Street and I, probably whatever the B-roll we do. I was going to tell you, Vampire in Brooklyn absolutely will not be yeah. on that list. <laughs> will not be on that list but near dark might be on. i think near dark is on that list i think it might be yes and yeah. if and if we depending on what other west craven we do for the b-roll that also might be on that list so mm-hmm. we can build in a little uh reprieve for ourselves by by just reposting some real ripe real yeah rotten. i figured that would that's what we would do because i figure <laughs> we're i figure we do the list at random and mm. uh when those two come when those ones come up we can just uh you know play a clip show i guess yeah and we'll just subject anybody who's fool enough to listen to our rambling without wes's logical be, straight man i'll just be yeah, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just do the same episode but i just won't use wes's audio <laughs> just cut wes out <laughs> sorry wes do non-parents talk about pedophilia um <laughs> it's, it's a hot, hot new podcast and one parent is like you know i think it would have been better yeah, if there was the more thing, pedophilia in this thing. movie we're the non-parents, and we're the anti-pedophilia. Voices. You guys, you guys felt bad for Freddy Krueger. You were like, "How dare these parents murder this child murderer?" I think there should have been. I think. I think. I think child murder is fine. I think there should have been more pedophilia in this movie. <laughs> Let's call it a day. There, we're and done on with, that note. We're done with Nightmare on Elm Street. We are being pulled through the window like an air blow-up doll right now on our way to the end of this. Exploded like a dog into a river. <laughs> guys, we'll see you next time.